Our second lesson comes from the Gospel of Matthew. This is just after Jesus is baptized and then tempted in the desert that we find our story today. So listen to Matthew 4, verses 12 through 23. Hear a word from God. Now when Jesus had heard that John the Baptist had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the sea and the territory of Zebulun and at Naphtali, so that when it had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As he walked by the sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets. And Jesus called them. Immediately they left their boats and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. Church, this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our heart be pleasing in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Words are special. Words are amazing. We can say a word and completely change the meaning of it with a tone. Like here in the South, growing up out West, bless you was just how you responded to someone sneezing, but bless you had a totally different meaning. We can attach a word to another word and the definition changes completely. A word can be in fashion and used a lot one week and then you hardly ever hear it again. We create words to convey meaning, to say something about culture and life or circumstances. One of my favorite books growing up was the book called Frindle. It was about a boy going into the fifth grade who has the mean, hard English teacher. The English teacher that when you ask her what a word meant, she'd say, look it up. And you'd have to go find a dictionary and look up the definition. Clearly, this was pre-Google days. (laughs) The boy actually found that he enjoyed looking up words in the dictionary, finding out their meanings and reading through how the meanings came about. And so he has this idea. He says, you know, we just create meaning around these words. So he decides to rename the word pen, pen that you write with. He decides, I'm going to start calling pens frindles. And so one day in class, he says, can I borrow a frindle? And the friend, a friend who's in on the joke gives him a pen. 
And so slowly, more and more of the kids at the school start using the word frindle. And the mean old English teacher says, that's not the right word for that, and begins to have them write lines that says, I am writing this with a pen, not a frindle. Well, eventually the local news picks up this story and it starts to gain steam and then it becomes a national news story. And as we all know, this American story, advertising picks up on Frindle. And five years later, it makes its way into the dictionary. And the sweet conclusion of the book is the boy several years later receives a letter from his English teacher explaining how she conjured the controversy. She made it an issue so that Frindle would receive attention so that the boy could understand how words can move and change, how there's power in words. Because that's what we do as humans. We have the power to mold, to use language, to change meanings of words, to give a new meaning of a word. And this is what Jesus often does in his ministry. Jesus uses the technique of taking words and phrases that were common of the day and then subverting them or putting a new spin on a common word or idea of the day. The kingdom of God is not a term that Jesus coined. It's not something that he came up with on his own. The kingdom of God, that phrase had been around before Jesus was even born. God's reign was something that many looked forward to. It was a common phrase amongst the Jewish people. In fact, when Jesus was just a boy, we have historical accounts of there were zealots, revolutionaries, who used the term kingdom of God to try to rally supporters and revolution of Rome. It had been used by leaders before. But for many people, for kind of the cultural understanding of kingdom of God of the day, it's what those zealots thought, that the kingdom of God meant freedom from Rome, that the kingdom of God meant violent overthrow of Rome, that the kingdom of God meant freedom from those Roman taxes, that kingdom of God meant no more Roman occupation. But that's not what Jesus is speaking about. That's not what he means when he uses those words. No, Jesus is speaking about a kingdom of God that is good news for the sick. Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God which rescues us from our hurt, where God's sovereignty reigns. Our Greek word today is kingdom, and in Greek it is basileia. Now, the dictionary definition, unfortunately, is pretty straightforward. There's no hidden meaning in the Greek that's really going to bring out what this word kingdom means. The translators did a pretty good job. It means kingdom or sovereignty or royal power. But what does become illuminating, what does become important is when basileia is attached. So it's basileia ton uranon, which means the kingdom of heaven, or basileia tu theu, which means the kingdom of God. One quick note, don't be confused 
The Gospel of Matthew uses that phrase, kingdom of heaven. And sometimes I think we can hear that and think, oh, that's some ethereal thing far away. But for Matthew, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, they're the same thing. They're the same thing. And he uses kingdom of heaven because he is a Jewish writer. And if you know this or not, the Jewish people didn't say the divine name of God, of Yahweh. So heaven was a way to put a placeholder. So those are the same things. When you hear kingdom of heaven, that's the kingdom of God. That's what comes with Jesus. So what does our passage reveal about the kingdom? It says to both prepare, to repent and prepare for it, and that it's good news. There's this message that I think flows through modern social media, modern lingo, modern language, that if something feels good, then it's right. And that's not to say that isn't true in a multiplicity of situations, maybe even a majority of situations, but it's not objective fact. Eating a dozen Krispy Kremes feels really good to me, but when my heart stops, it's not so great. Vindicating my decisions and my rightness and my sureness feels really good to me, but often it hurts others that I'm around. The kingdom of God is love lived out, is justice realized, and sometimes love hurts. Love causes us to change. And so that word repent literally means to turn, to turn from, to turn to. So Jesus is calling us to turn from our selfishness, turn from our sin, and to turn towards the kingdom of God. This is demonstrated in the calling of the disciples. A fisherman was in Galilee was actually a pretty good occupation. Sure, you worked hard, but you actually made more than the surrounding people. There weren't the same classes we have today, but they were kind of upper middle class. They were doing pretty good. But when Jesus calls on the disciples, they abandon the comfort of that moment and follow. Now, I know this is probably one of the scariest passages for us in scripture because we're like, oh God, what if I'm being called to quit my job and go into ministry? And so it's at this time that we all avoid eye contact with the preacher (laughs) saying, please don't make me quit my job. And maybe God's calling you to do that. I don't know. But probably more likely, God is calling you in the professions that you're in and the retirement that you're in, and the part-time job you're in, and the school that you're in, to live out the gospel. To let go of those nets of self-preservation that hold us down, and proclaim the good news that the kingdom of God has come, that we are saved by the God of the universe, that God knows and God heals God's people. And that's the final part that our passage talks about, that the kingdom, the kingdom is good news. It's good news for the sick. It provides healing for the broken. And friends, we are all sick. We are all broken. We all have pain. We all have hurt. We all cause hurt. 
But the good news of the kingdom is that God redeems us, that God calls us good, that God calls us to participate in the building of God's kingdom here on earth. Because the kingdom was introduced with Christ's incarnation, with Christ's life, with Christ's resurrection. But we can look out in the world and clearly see it has not been fully realized. There is still death. There is still injustice. There's still oppression all throughout this world. And the kingdom of God has not been fully realized because we are not fully at peace. But we are called through God's grace to participate in the construction of that kingdom of love and peace and compassion and, com- and kindness. So what does, what is that kingdom, what does the kingdom of God look like lived out in this world? I think it's where we follow Jesus when we can't really make sense of the moment. It's when we care for the least of these. It's when we respond to whatever God is calling to us in that moment of the day. One of the ways I saw this worked out recently in our church community was, as I announced, uh, Dot Myrie passed away. And, and a couple months before her, her husband Reggie passed away. And in their, they were both in their 90s, but in their younger days, they had cared for the youth in a special way. They had been helpers with the youth group. They had invited the youth to their house for small groups. They had even gone on a youth trip to Montreat, which last week Dot told me it was not a very fun trip. (laughs) And sometimes what you're called to isn't that fun. But they were called to love in that way. In the same way, during COVID this past winter, when our homebound members were extra isolated, our youth made blankets, blankets to keep our members warm and to remind them that the church loved them and had not forgotten about them. Then there were members who went and delivered these blankets and spoke to those who were at home. Dot and Reggie being a couple of those that received a blanket. And it quickly became their favorite material. Reggie was eternally cold, so his daughters would place the blanket in the dryer and warm it and lay it on him. He was going blind near the end of his life, but he could still see the stripes And it brought him joy to see the pattern. Dot, in her final days and her final night on this earth, lay in her room in a hospital bed under that same blanket from the youth, literally wrapped in the love of the church. Friends, that is the kingdom of God. Dot and Reggie had no idea how they're caring for the youth would work out in the kids' lives or in their own lives. They just knew they were called to love these kids at this moment. Our youth in this church never met the Myries, never knew them, but they knew they were called to care for these members and the gift of these blankets. It's these moments of sharing, of gifting dignity, compassion, of love, 
sometimes in ways that appear to be menial. What is special about a blanket that builds the kingdom of God because God's love is more evident in the world? The reign of God is one where love and justice flow. So let us be a church who lives out the basileia, the kingdom of God in our actions, in our thoughts, in our fidelity to one another. And with God's help and God's grace, we build the kingdom here on this earth. Alleluia. Amen.